Has your brand been struggling to reach the correct audience when advertising? We've all done it. Maximize privacy filters on our phones and apps because who wants to be talking about something for it to pop up mysteriously later? It's weird and everyone hates it. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. You know how much we love Zencaster, and their new creator network is no different. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's creator network is a perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators, like us. So stop wasting advertising dollars on ad campaigns that aren't targeting your niche audience. Let Zencaster's Creator Network match you with podcasters who can ensure that your target audience is being reached. We love Zencaster so much, and being able to see ad opportunities come across our dashboard with a percentage match to see how much our audiences line up is game-changing. It helps creators really get behind brands that mean something to them. And with a podcast show for just about anything you can think of, your brand is no exception. Are you interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai slash gruesome and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie along with the Aquarian Whisperer, Meg. Today, she's going to tell us about Lauren McCluskey. That was me whispering to you. I did see on the thing, our Discord, someone said that, or maybe it was Instagram, said that Gemini and Aquarius are very compatible. So here we are. Can't keep the wind in a jar. We need we need each other. I let this birdie fly, baby. <laughs> You are the wind beneath my wings. That was not the right tune, but <laughs> you got what I was doing. I was like, I get you, girl. But also. <laughs> Never do it again. Don't do it. Okay. okay. Today, I want to touch on a case that highlights dating violence and stalking, especially on college campuses. Because young women between the ages of 16 and 24 experience the highest rate of violence at the hands of an intimate partner. So, your trigger warnings today, stalking, violence, murder, suicide, and um, sharing of intimate photo revenge porn. We'll say revenge porn. It's an easier way to say it, I guess. Uh, Lauren McCluskey was an outstanding athlete and student. She began breaking track records when she was only in elementary school, competing in the Junior Olympics. In high school, she focused on school and training. She did volunteer work, all while being a state track champion. After graduating from high school, she headed to the University of Utah, where she had been awarded a track and field scholarship. She was smart. Her GPA was nearly a 3.8, and she was stunning. She had dark hair and bright blue eyes. She was 5'8". She loved animals and her family. And even after she left Washington State to attend college in Utah, she spoke to her mom on the phone several times a day, most days. Early in her college career, she was described as kind of shy and quiet. 
but with age came the confidence of a newly 21-year-old preparing to enter the real world and forge her own path. On Saturday night in September of 2018, Lauren texted her friend about grabbing a quick drink at a new bar in town. When they got to the front of the line, the six-foot-tall bouncer, Sean, helped the girls find empty seats in the packed bar. He stopped by a few times checking on the girls, and Lauren was really into him. It wasn't like her, but she wrote her phone number down on a napkin and handed it to him as they walked out of the bar for the night. The next morning at church, Lauren told her friend that she and Sean already had plans to go on a first date that day, which ended up continuing to the evening. The date went great. She had come home with a bouquet of roses. She told her mom, who she called soon after the date, that he had been a perfect gentleman. He was 28, a part-time bouncer, while he finished his degree at Salt Lake Community College. Her roommate, the same person who had been with Lauren when she first met Sean, thought he was perfectly lovely at first. It did not take long for things to get weird. The first red flag was that after the first date, Sean, who was a pretty big dude, he was six feet tall, he started spending every night at Lauren's dorm in her twin bed. It seemed strange that this 28-year-old man with a job and his own college classes would spend all of his extra time in a dorm. Shouldn't he have his own His own house? He's 28, or at least like with his parents, or not in a twin bed. Right, like... He didn't have his own place. He was just staying. He never really had an answer for where he did live. He was just sleeping in the dorm. Shortly after they began dating, Lauren began to show telltale signs of being in a controlling and potentially abusive relationship. He was telling her what to wear, where she could go, when she could go to those places. She mentioned that he would become incredibly angry if she didn't text him back right away. When they were together, he needed to know where she was, who she was with, what she was doing. Her phone couldn't die or he would be furious and accuse her of cheating on him. He didn't want her going out and he especially didn't want her to be anywhere near where other men were. He suggested that maybe she should get a gun to ensure other men didn't become too forward with her. And this is only like a couple of weeks in. Like this isn't, oh, they progressively got that bad. It was Mm. almost immediately. I think that sometimes with young girls, younger girls, I know she's not like a teenager, but like younger girls, when it comes to like an older man, you think it's. Maybe if you haven't dated someone like that much older than you before, you think it's like endearing. You're like, oh, they care about me. They, you know, I remember like with my ex, you think it's their way of showing that they care. It's like, oh man, they're freaking out that I'm doing this. This is, they love me so much, but it's a facade and it's not love. It's a huge red flag. And if anyone start, if you're in an early relationship and they start saying, you shouldn't wear this, you shouldn't go here, friend. Red flag, red flag. Uh, And if you've ever had a friend in this situation, or if you've been in this situation, then you truly understand how true it is that hindsight is 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you try to talk to your friends who you can see, like, this isn't normal. This is abuse, especially early on when they are infatuated. It's like talking to a wall. 
you can talk to them, you can remind them that you love them, you can tell them what you're seeing, but so often they're just being manipulated to a point where they're not, they can't see that damage that's happening yet. Exactly. By September 26th, her friends had noticed changes in her physical appearance, notably saying that Lauren looked absolutely exhausted. Sean didn't have a vehicle. She was picking him up after his late nights working at the bar, plus she was in her final year of her classwork and folding to all of his demands, which included not hanging out with her friends. Like He did not want her to hang out with anyone. He was cutting her off. They isolate you. From her they circle. Yeah. Yeah. Concerned? Her friends spoke to the RA on September 30th. They told the RA that Lauren was in an unhealthy relationship, that her boyfriend was older, and that he was staying in her room more than what was allowed because there was a guest policy. When you are when you have a dorm, you can't have, notably, dudes stay the night if you're in like a girl campus, that kind of a thing. Girl floor, not campus. They told them that he had said he was going to bring a gun to campus for Lauren. And in case you don't know, the RA is like a student leader in the, the college. advisor. Yeah. And they're kind of on your level, but they also have to escalate stuff. And they pretty much, they get like a discount on their schooling for doing that too. It's like a job. Um, but the RA did pass that information up the chain of command to the area coordinator And the area coordinator said that there would be a follow-up with Lauren regarding the guest policy. But if Sean returned, they should call campus police. So they escalated the situation to the place that they were supposed to. But that response that the RA got was delayed. It didn't come for a while. And an intervention team for what her friends were telling them was never fully engaged. In fact, the details that were revealed about Sean and Lauren allegedly were never told to the actual intervention coordinator. So it started going up the chain, stuff got lost, and it just stopped. On October 1st, her friends went to submit another report about Sean, but the computerized reporting system was down, and they were unable to. They contacted the assistant director of residential education, and they were just like, you know what, Lauren's on our radar, we'll keep an eye on it just brushing them off. And these are good friends. They're legitimately trying to yeah. help her out without directly stepping in and being like, you can't do this because you can't always, that doesn't always work with your friends. It doesn't work, yeah. Ball break quickly approached and Lauren headed home to Washington for a little vacation and some much needed time away from Sean. After a little more than a month of dating, Lauren was hit with a shocking and terrifying truth after a tip from a friend. Sean was not Sean at all. He was Melvin Sean Rowland, a 37-year-old man who had recently spent 10 years in prison for sexual assault and was currently out on parole. Holy shit. He had already had parole violations, which included possessing pornography, creating a Facebook account, and not attending therapy. So this whole time, he was not who he says he was. Melvin Rowland had been born in New York. He was adopted by a couple who died when he was still young. The state of New York sent Melvin to a state-run group home before he then moved to Boulder, Colorado to finish receiving his high school diploma. 
Rowland spent time at a Buddhist institute in Berkeley, California, and then he joined the Job Corps and received training as a CNA at Salt Lake City Community College. In September of 2003, Roland, who would have been 21, had entered an online chat room and agreed to meet up with who he thought was a 13-year-old girl with the intent to have sex with her. He had actually been speaking to the Utah Attorney General's office. I love when they do that. I know. It is very satisfying. They bust those freaking creeps. Perverts. Perverts. During that investigation... Detectives learned that only two days before Roland had agreed to meet the 13-year-old, he had actually met with a 17-year-old girl at her home while her parents were out. They had engaged in sexual activity, but when she refused to have sex with him, Roland had raped her. He was arrested, was charged with attempted forcible abuse and enticing a minor over the internet. He later admitted at his parole hearings that he was a womanizer, he would lie to women in order to have sex. He stated that he did have an attraction to underage girls or vulnerable women in general. Roland admitted to having raped at least two other women in the same manner as the 17-year-old. When he was finally released on parole, officers noted that he had a pattern of lying and breaking rules, especially in regard to sex. And he could have been released on parole a lot sooner, but he kept fucking up. Like, he could not... Get stay it together. a straight line. Yeah, he could not get it together. So then we go back to Lauren. And on October 9th, she returned home and planned to invite who she now knew as Melvin Roland over with the intent of breaking up with him. He had borrowed her car while she had been in Washington, so she had to see him to get it back. She called her friends who advised her to meet him in a public place, break up, and get her car back. In the relationship right there in public so he couldn't do anything and she had her car. What she didn't realize was that he had been outside her ground window since she had got home, listening to the entire conversation she was having with her friend on the phone. Oh, he my God. busted into her apartment and started yelling at her, saying that she shouldn't be talking about them to anybody and it wasn't any of her friend's business. But Lauren didn't back down. She revealed everything she knew about his criminal history because she knew about the 13 and the 17 year old she and he was like oh no i was framed i only pled guilty because i had to of course they always say that yeah. right <laughs> i didn't have a chance he had said he had met the 17 year old at a frat party and she had said she was 18 and turned out she wasn't you still raped someone yeah and then it doesn't matter if you're raping she she two 30. more people yeah, that's that makes no sense. If even if she was like, I'm 25, you still raped her. She the still said no, and you didn't listen. In this case, it's not necessarily the age that's a factor. I mean, it, it's a it's it is a it factor, is, but like yeah, it, but it's like you raped her. Like you raped her. Yeah. Ugh. And Lauren agreed because she broke up with him. But despite her trying to make him leave, he forced himself on her. The next morning, she told him that she had track practice, and he took her car again to run errands, quote unquote. Later that day, she got a text from a random number asking why she had broke up with him. It said, he really loves you. Why'd you break up with the big guy? The text continued from random numbers, one saying that another friend was going to drop her car off because 
Melvin couldn't stand to look at her. Another suggested that she kill herself for leaving him. And Lauren knew it was him the entire time. He was the person sending all yeah. of these text messages. She called her mom, explaining that her now ex had her car and she was afraid she wasn't going to get it back. So Lauren's mom, who is a professor at Washington State, her name is Jill McCluskey, she called campus police and was rightly upset, but she requested an escort for Lauren because her dangerous sex offender ex-boyfriend had her vehicle and she needed to retrieve it. And so they did provide an escort for her and she got her car back. Great. That's like the only good thing that these guys did because the rest of this, they completely botched. I will tell you right now. Oh, I hate to hear it. October 11th, the day after Lauren has her car back, anonymous text messages start again. This time they're saying that, oh no, Rowland was in a serious car accident and he's at the hospital. Then she shared that information with her friends who were like, mm, no, I do not buy that. I do not think that it's true. And one, because he didn't have a car. Yeah. And what two, you... <laughs> what? he had a car wreck in someone else's car. He wrecked someone else's car. And two, he had told her that he had allegedly gone out of state. So there wasn't like, oh, he's at, you know, I don't know what the hospitals are in Salt Lake City, but like he's at Salt Lake City Community Hospital. He's at this specific hospital where you need to go. Uh, he was just at the hospital. On the 12th, the next day, she received another text telling her that Roland was dead. And it was her fault. After these messages, Lauren calls campus police to file her own report. She reports she's getting threatening text messages from an ex and that his friends are trying to lure her into leaving campus so that they can trap her, which is exactly what he was doing. He was trying to get her to leave a safe area so that he could take advantage of her. This report was taken via telephone and the officer she spoke to told her that there really wasn't much they could do unless he was directly threatening her. On the 13th, Lauren calls police again, and she wants to speak to someone about her report. She had to wait. Someone had to call her back because now the texts have become threatening. She explains that Melvin Sean Rowland is a sex offender on parole and that he is now threatening to post and send nude photos of her that he had, and he is telling her that they're going to go viral until she gives him $1,000. And she sent him $1,000 to prevent that from happening. She gave it to him. So she goes to the campus safety building and she brings evidence of all these texts. She brings evidence of the $1,000 that she sent because now she's being extorted. Mm -hmm. She files another report and they call the actual police where a detective is like, okay, forward me the report, forward me all the screenshots, the transaction, anything that we can use for extortion or just you being scammed in general. By 1 p.m. that day, she's emailing and telling the detective that people were threatening to post these nude photos and send them to her friends and family uh, with one text message saying, if you want to protect your image and your dignity, contact me. Feel free to call the cops. And they implied that if she did that, the photos would go online and to her family. So she sends them all of this information. It's important to note that Lauren and her friends did not feel like they were being taken seriously during these conversations with campus police. She went, they just kept trying to brush it off like it was a scam, like maybe someone had just had not really gotten her photos, that they weren't really doing this. And she's like, no, this is a dangerous person. I know this is a dangerous person and this is what happened. It was these guys were so incompetent that when she told them to look him up, they looked up 
a, the wrong student. Like they looked up the wrong person. And it was like, this guy looks like a pretty good guy, but it wasn't even the right guy they were looking oh at. Oh my God. So she leaves after she sends all this information to the Salt Lake City police. And they call her back. She misses those calls. She calls them back. It's game of phone tag with detectives and campus security at this point. But she also talks to her aunt during this time. And she mentioned to her aunt that she had lost the key to her dorm and that she was going to have to leave the door unlocked or propped open. She mentioned that her roommate was gone for the weekend and that Rowland was blackmailing her. And we'll kind of scoot a little bit to the 15th of October because Lauren was also regularly talking to her counselor on campus. So she's waiting for detectives and campus safety to do anything, just anything, something. And Rowland is still contacting her. From the 16th to the 18th, he's sending threatening text messages. He's saying he's going to post these photos still. It's messy. And they're pretty busy following up and investigating things not related to Lauren's case. On the 19th, she calls Salt Lake City PD again, tells them that she thinks someone is working for campus public safety and they are feeding information to her ex-boyfriend because he seems to know everything that she's told the police and she's very concerned for her own safety. And dispatch told her to call campus police and talk to whoever was in charge of her case. What the fuck? Like, the person in charge of her case talks to her and says that campus safety officers will, you should call them if someone tries to lure you off campus. But the person in charge of her case there is out of the office until October 23rd. So again, more delayed responses, more like, hey, we can't really do anything because I'm not in the office right now. But she continued, she continued to like follow up and create this paper trail of screenshots and interactions and all of the emails and text messages that were coming in. On the 22nd, Lauren got a text from someone claiming to be Deputy Chief McLennan with the University of Police, and it asked her to come to the station immediately because there was something that she needed to see. She didn't go. She went to her counselor because she had an appointment. And when she is out of that appointment, she learned that Chief McLennan's text is fake. Don't answer it. She talked to an officer about it, and he did not put that in her file that she received that fake text message. What Lauren didn't realize is that other than the harassment she had been facing from texts and emails is that he had also been stalking her this entire time. On that day, the 22nd of October, he had gone into the lobby of her dorm around 3 p.m. and he was waiting for her. She was coming back from class around 8.15, talking to her mom on the phone she told her mom that she was doing really well, which was a relief because her mom had been worried about all of the stuff that had been going on. She talked to her all the time. She said that she'd done really well on her quiz that day. She was going to go work on an assignment that she had to do at midnight. She began to wrap up the call when the tone changed and Jill began to hear Lauren scream, no, 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 on the other line, just panicked. And then the call was still active, but the phone, it was like the phone dropped. And a couple minutes later, a girl came by and picked up the phone and was like, hey, this phone is here. There's a laptop and a backpack here, but Lauren was gone. Her dad called 911 while her mom stayed on the line just in case. 
Police believe that Rowland grabbed Lauren, caused her to drop her phone and her backpack before he shoved her into the backseat of a car that he had driven to campus, and he shot Lauren seven times and left her dead in the backseat. This fucking psycho then called a woman he had just met on a dating app and had her pick him up. Within 30 minutes, like, he takes her, murders her, goes to dinner with a woman from an app, and then goes back to that woman's place where he showered, and then she dropped him off at a coffee shop. I have no words. Yeah. Like, where did he leave the car on campus? Yeah, he just left it there, and that's where they found her, because it wasn't his car. It was a car he had borrowed. He didn't have a car. But because of Lauren's many, many reports, they knew exactly who they were looking for. They had copies of his driver's license. They had copies of photos of him. His face was quickly all over the news, urging watchers to call in. And the woman he had gone on the date with called the police because she recognized him. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. You, like, get done on a date and you're like, go home, turn on the nightly news. And you're like, oh, shit. When campus police discovered Lauren's body, they felt at least a tinge of guilt i felt a fucking shower of guilt i hope it poured down from the heavens about it but like that because that gets worse oh no no the campus police really uh, they done goofed this whole situation um But police did find her shortly after the murder. Her coach called uh, Lauren's parents at 9.55 to tell them that her body had been found um, in the backseat of a car on campus. But they knew who to look for. The woman had called the police quickly. She said exactly where she had dropped him off. Police didn't have a current address on him because he had been living in Lauren's dorm or on couches and he was listed as being at a halfway house that he had actually left earlier that month and never gone back to. He had seen his parole officer only four days before this happened, but his parole officer had never been notified of any of these allegations that Lauren was putting forth about him. Because the campus police had the wrong name, even though she had taken screenshots from like like police reports and files on him from online and sent them, to the Salt Lake City Police, too. Like, they had seen them as well. And somehow, his parole officer just didn't get the memo. And I don't know who, whose bad that was, campus or really everyone across the board. I think it was all a bit of both. Yeah, it was poor communication. At the least, gross negligence. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Poor communication. No, no, no. That's negligent. Yeah. At 12.01... Police located their suspect, and at 12.46 a.m. on October 23rd, Salt Lake City PD pursued Melvin Sean Rowland on foot into a church where he broke into the pastor's study and committed suicide. At 1.47 a.m., an alert was released saying that Rowland had been located and was no longer a threat. Guys, we blinked and summer is almost over. For parents, that means we are sending our kids back to school, and we know how important it is to start days off with a healthy, nutritious breakfast. Unfortunately, healthy and nutritious usually don't align with what our kids are hungry for. Never fear, parents. Magic Spoon takes the guilt out of those busy mornings. 
Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack with four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Also, only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Our kids can experience the cereal we had as kids, only now it's super nutritious. Go to magicspoon.com slash gruesome to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code gruesome at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Jill and Matt McCluskey started the Lauren McCluskey Foundation to honor their daughter by bringing awareness to, funding research for, providing resources to change college culture and how they respond to this kind of violence and stalking, um, especially on campuses. But just the response from campus security was inappropriate. And they did, the university did an independent review and really just tried to make themselves look better. I don't know. It was it said that they were understaffed. They should have victims advocates. The officers needed better training and response times, but they don't think that they could have actually prevented the slaying. And I was like, that is absolutely not true. There are a number of things that could have been put into place that could have prevented this. He was on fucking parole. That's the first yeah. thing. Like, they could have contacted his parole officer and boom, done. Yeah, he, he would have been back. And when he forced himself onto her, like when she got back, that's another sexual assault. He would have been back in prison. They could have 150% prevented this. And then the campus police didn't know about like the RA and the housing stuff. Somehow that didn't make it to their files. It was just like a wreck. And not only did they fail this girl and her family, one of the campus officers, Miguel Deras, was one of the people that Lauren had given her report with the nude images to that Rowland was threatening to release. And Miguel shared those images with other officers not involved with her case and made vulgar comments and said that he could look at them whenever he wanted. And another officer confirmed that he did look at them and he did also say inappropriate things about them. And I'm like, this is now a girl who is murdered. And this is what you guys were doing while she was being harassed and stalked and abused. Fucking gross. That's disgusting. He was terminated and the head of the campus police resigned, but they both recently, like this year, sued the university for $10 million saying that there was nothing that either of them could have done and that they were made to leave. Um, Is he no. joking? No, they are absolutely suing the state. And the University of Utah also had to pay... $13.5 million to the McCluskey family to acknowledge that Lauren's murder was brutal, senseless, and a preventable tragedy. When the money that they received funds the foundation, it paid, like, there's an indoor track on campus that's dedicated to Lauren's life. It's just, this, this case, other than, like, the absolute lack of help that Lauren received regarding her personal safety it's just the vulnerability of women in this age group. Mm-hmm. Because I remember just so vividly being like 19, 20, 21, and like really feeling like 
I was like, I was a grown up, like I was becoming an adult. I could handle grown up things that life threw my way. And like, yes, at that age, you can handle a lot of things on your own, but there are also a lot of things that like, maybe you don't quite know how to put your foot down about things. You don't know how exactly to go about escalating things, things that come with like age and experience and things that you've seen firsthand. My love language is gift giving. And one of my favorite things to give is an experience, which is why Let's Make Art is so awesome because I can send my best friend Connie or even her kids the gift of learning how to paint and create. Anyone can have art supplies delivered right to their door in the form of monthly subscriptions, project kits, and supplies for a variety of activities. Whether you're a total beginner or you've mastered the arts, the supplies and tutorials in each art box are designed to encourage, support, and enhance your experience with art. Let's Make Art has taken the guesswork out of crafting and created kits for various mediums and interests. You can follow along with free tutorials courtesy of Let's Make Art's in-house artists to learn how to paint with watercolor or acrylics, or you could pick up art journaling. Go to letsmakeart.com and start your next art project today. Be sure to use our promo code GRUESOMEART, all one word, at checkout to save 20% off your first order. We've posted our special link in the show notes and remember to use Gruesome Art to save 20% off. Thank you, Let's Make Art, for sponsoring this episode. It's a really tough spot to be in. It's a tough case to hear. As someone who has like experienced like domestic violence and stalking and harassment, and it's you hate to hear cases like this because you can easily put yourself, any of our listeners who's been involved in any relationship like that like you can easily put yourself into Lauren's position yeah no I was and like it sent me spiraling back into like my relationship at 21 that I tried to end several times and every time I did it was stalking or threatening and threatening himself threatening me or I would break up with him and he just wouldn't leave I once found him asleep on my front porch waiting for me to come home he went to one of my friend's houses who had a baby and like banged on their door and rang their doorbell at one in the morning. And it's like, at the time, I'm just like, wow, he is really something. But my brain wasn't going like, oh, this is abusive. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got to that point where I can be like, okay, we were living together. And I was like, all right, I'm getting promoted. I'm moving. I don't want you to come with me. You can stay here until you find a place, but I don't want to be with you anymore. And looking back on it, it was like, yes, I was very clear about that breakup. I was very clear that like I wanted that person to leave, but he got physical. He came into my job. He absolutely lost it. Literally stalked me until I was alone and said that he was going to rape and then murder me and put me in the dirt. And I'm just like, you can be brokenhearted. And that's still not an acceptable response to being brokenhearted. Like I filed, I had to file two police reports and I only, I didn't press charges because his mom texted me and was like, this will ruin his life. I'm like, don't you see that this is ruining my life right now? I, the police, I have such PTSD from filing police reports that I don't even know if I could again. And I know that sounds horrible to say. But like, I don't, you feel, one, you feel vulnerable going there, regardless of your gender in a domestic dispute type situation. You feel vulnerable even being like, hey, I need help. Like, 
this is a situation that I can no longer control myself. This started as like a relationship. That's not what this is. Like you feel vulnerable enough. And I still like legitimately have been in therapy and like trauma counseling because of me trying to file a police report. I literally had my entire face was swollen, like black eye. My whole face was like, just, I looked like I had gotten the shit beat out of me because I did. And the base police, which are equally is in my, in this, like the, I should rephrase that the base police I experienced were equally as incompetent as these campus police. And they took my ex-husband into the kitchen. And I still hear that guy's stupid fucking voice saying, we're going to mark this as a domestic dispute. So it doesn't affect you PCS and boss. And that was it. Like I had to go to the hospital because I had a fracture in my jaw the next day. And I, it still was like the and level the sliding that comes after yeah, it. Like I went back, like I went back to the police or like, I went back to the police station. I was like, is any, or like the base police is like, is there anything that we can do here? Like, what can I do? They were like, this is going to ruin his career. And I hope, you know, it's going to, it'll be less money that you can take from him. And this and this and i hope like, you know that's you not what i care about right now i care about yeah. like living existing i and know when like i went to the police the second time he jumped in front of my car and i hit him with my car because i was driving and he was like if you go to the police i'm going to tell him that you hit me with your car and i was that's like what... i just jumped in front of my fucking car <laughs> <laughs> That's what they told me. They were like, did you fight? Like, did you fight him? Did you, what did you do to cause all this? Like, you know, he can file charges against you too. And I was like, victim blaming. I was like a mother of two. And I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to go to jail for this? Like, am I like, what is going to happen? Right. Happen. And guess what? He got to move to a different base. Like nothing ever happened. It never affected his career. He's a fucking police officer now. Like. I'm sure repeating that that's cycle. definitely the person we want out there keeping our streets <laughs> like, safe. Like the one that beats the shit out of his wife. Yeah. And Ugh. I just remember being like, I don't feel safe because he told me the same thing. He's like, I could kill you and like take, no one would know. Like I could kill you and it would be nothing. I could kill you and it would take nothing from me to kill you. And I remember like Karen, say Karen sobbing. Like she's like, he's going to kill you. Like you have to leave because he's going to kill you. And I was like, I do have to leave because he is going to kill me. Yeah, it gets to that point where it's so bad that you're like, I was very fortunate that I did get a victim's advocate and full circle. It was the same fucking victim's advocate from when I got abducted and she got me a restraining order real quick. You know, I was was never offered one, which is bullshit. Like you should have been immediately. Never and the fact one. that Lauren was not offered some kind no. of victim's advocate that could help her process what was happening, go through the motions, be like, oh, he's on parole. Let's get a hold of his parole officer. Like, why aren't, why was that not available? You just that reassurance that I remember feeling so dirty that I was in a relationship like that. Like, it was a, you feel but It's because you're that young, too. Because you're yeah, like, I made these big grown-up choices, and I mm-hmm. made the wrong ones, and it's my fault. But it's not. It's not your no, fault. No, it's not, it's not anyone's fault. Like, it's their fault. The abuser, it's their fault. Whether, regardless if it's a female abuser or a male abuser. And honestly, like, 
when it's a male victim and he's being like assaulted and like stalked by a girl, it's almost sometimes even worse because they're definitely not getting believed. Their victim's status is like out the window most of the time. Like no one takes that seriously. It's like, oh, really? You're going to get beat up by a girl? Like, yes. Yeah. Girls are crazy too. Girls can be crazy too. What are you thinking? Like, it's not, uh, uh, I, she was failed on so many levels and not in the sense like by, from the people that love her because she had so many people being like, help her, please help her, like help her. And it was the people that are supposed to protect her. And no one did. Yeah. No one did. And like her friends tried, her family tried. Like it shouldn't take a, a young woman, man being murdered at the hands of their partner for big changes to take place for things to be taken more serious. There was another domestic violence murder on University of Utah campus like two years ago, too. So what has changed? Like, what things have we not put in place and why is it still happening? You know? Are you a physician looking for a change? Consider locum tenens. Whether you are burned out, need a change of pace, or are looking to supplement your income, locum tenens might be the solution for you. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locum tenens. Locumstory.com has answers to basic questions like, what is locum tenens? To more complex questions about pay ranges, taxes, licensing, and many others. The Locum Story blog also features content and perspectives from actual locums physicians who have firsthand locums experience. Locumstory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locums trends for your specialty, compare different locums agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Visit locumstory.com today to learn more about locum tenants and see if it is right for you. I do want to give the formal, like, putting it out there. If you are in that position, if you are in a domestic violence situation, a stalking situation, There's resources out there, the domestic violence hotline. If you want to message us and we can help you coordinate anything or give all of the knowledge that we can, you shouldn't feel like you have to stay in a situation like that for any reason. If you have kids, go ahead. You never need a reason to leave other than that you want to leave. And Mm -hmm. if you want to leave, you should. And if you have the ability or you have a police report and they're like, do you want to press charges? You should yes. press them. Yes. Press them all the way down, baby. Like, and do it. What the final, like, well, the whole, like, my final shebang. But I had to step back and think that I had two sons and I, one, never wanted them to find me dead. I never wanted them to be physically harmed like that and I never wanted them to see that and think it was okay to do that to someone else Mm -hmm. I didn't want someone else's daughter to not be safe with my sons because of like the environment they were in and I do know that it makes it more difficult when you have kids but this was seven years ago for me and I can promise you I never look back on that situation and think I wish I would have stayed longer no and I wish I could just go back and tell like little baby 20s Meg and Connie that like they're not the bad guys 
because mm-hmm. they tried to like protect themselves and you're not the bad guy for leaving someone who wasn't safe for you or who wasn't compatible with you, who wasn't like the only reason you need is that you want to leave. And I want to give the full disclaimer for people who are in small towns or they want to get out of their hometown. A significant other is never the ticket out. Truly, it's not. (laughs) Because it doesn't end well. Because you're in it, one, you're in it for the wrong reasons. If you're like, oh my gosh, this person can get me out of my hometown and I, I can move and see places. It comes with a cost. And it's just... I'm not saying like young relationships don't work out because there are tons of them. My in-laws have been married since literally high school. And so I know, I, you know, I know that it works out, but it's, I don't know. I, I wish I would have had, I wish I would have been the strong me now to notice the red flags like early in the relationship to be like, look, I'm going to pump the brakes on this bullshit real quick before. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. You never see it. Like I was like, oh my God, this is so cute. He gets so jealous when I was preaching to to you guys. Like, don't do it. We're no, telling that, you, like, that scary relationship where I kept having to file police reports. I finally got that restraining order. Like a couple years later, that guy's new ex girlfriend messaged me and was like, "Hey, how did you get him to leave you alone? Because he's stalking me. He's threatening me." I'm like, "That stuff doesn't change. Like, no, tire no. can't change their stripes, babe." No, and that's what I think now, like with like my ex, like his new wife. I'm like, that's a pattern that is probably still being repeated. Yeah. Like, that's not something that's different. Like that's it's not gonna go it's away. Sad. It's a sad feeling. And like maybe it made <laughs> maybe it made me into like too strong of a personality now. Because like I think of like how like my relationship with my husband and like your relationship with your husband, it's like nope. You're not going to talk to me like that. <laughs> like, yeah. Did you raise definitely. your voice a little bit? <laughs> no. <laughs> not today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, you become like the strong, independent woman. And then like, it's hard to ever be vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. Actually, Meg just sent me this reel that was like, <laughs> what do you I've expect? been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for too oh. long. <laughs> it's like you, like masculine women attract feminine men and not like necessarily in a bad way it's like you present this like thing about you where you can do everything it's like I can do this I can take care of myself I can take care of my family and then it's like you get offended when someone's not taking care of you and it's like it hit so hard I know I read it and I was like I gotta send this to Connie because I know she gets it but that is how it feels it's like yeah you're handling shit and you get people around you who are like oh you can handle shit help me handle my shit and I'm like okay but sometimes I do want to like I would like a break I would like someone I would like you to handle my shit (laughs) I would like someone else to take care of the to-do list like the the mental load you know that and like if you're more often carry family or a friend of someone who is in that type of relationship like you know they're in the relationship and as like we said you're Getting through to them may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be weeks down the road, but you need to be ready for when it does to be, if they're like, I want to leave, you're like, shit, yeah, let's go. I got my car packed already. Got Pack it up. Let's go. Let's go. Um, they don't need the judgment. They don't need the lecture of like, well, I told you. No, that's not what I they know. need. I Every time we do one of these cases, we um, 
inevitably get a message or an email from someone whose friend is in this situation and who desperately wants to help their friend. And all you can do for that friend is just continue to be there and know that like that person is going to try to cut you out of their life. They're going to try to isolate that person from the you. And if you can just let them know, even in little ways that like you're there whenever you need them, like you still love you, them. If you know it's a physical situation, take that initiative, talk to the police, be like, Hey, my sister is in this abusive relationship and it's physically abusive. How can I help? My brother is in this physically abusive relationship like what can I do at least start dropping the seeds of it like it's that it's not know. okay mm -hmm. but also know that they might not listen like yeah. they might see what you're doing and get mad at you but you just gotta hang in there and wait like Connie said like wait for that moment when they're like you know what you're right I'm done and you'd be like let's go it could be a years you know yeah, but, I remember at my wedding, my dad literally looked at me and was like, do you want to leave right now? And I was like, what? He's like, we can go out the back. We can leave. I don't give a shit about any of the money. We can leave. And I was like, no. <laughs> Even though inside you were like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I never felt like they tell you like love shouldn't be this like, like it's a peace, like it's peaceful. Like you shouldn't have this like fight or flight all the time. That's not how you should feel. And it literally took me almost a decade to pull my head out of my ass. Yeah. And it's it's now never. That was a hard learned because when you do feel those like, you know, those anxious responses or those anxious like parts of your body, you're like, oh, that's butterflies. Like, this is exciting. This is how I'm supposed to feel. No, that's your but gut telling you to run. Yeah, it's not. It should feel like a little boring, but like cozy boring, you know? I remember like doing a little bit of dating like in the interim between like me dating like my husband now and like my ex-husband. And I had like a, such a low threshold for bullshit. It was insane. It was like, a, oh, you're questioning anything? Bye. We're done. Nope. This isn't good for my soul. This isn't good for my soul. Oof. I hate that for her. I hate that she was failed by campus police and the police officers. I admire her family and friends for literally doing whatever they could. Everything that they could. If anyone in that situation can be like, well, we did everything, it's her family. It's her friends. They did everything. The other people yeah. did not. Aside from literally pulling her out against her will, like they let her try to figure it out on her own, which is all anyone can do in that situation. You know, she's almost done with college. She was graduating in May and it was October. So she had like six months left. And they weren't local. Like left. her family wasn't local. So you it's know, not like 100 miles away. Ugh. I I dread the day my children start seriously dating to have to have like the red flag conversation. Yeah. Red flag. But you know what I think is good? You're willing to have it because I don't mm -hmm. think like I grew up with like my dad, like I lived with my dad, my brother, and he made it very clear that he did not like most people. <laughs> like most boys that I talked to but like it was never a conversation of like hey this is why this guy is sketchy like this is why mm -hmm. 
Like I agree. this is not an okay thing for this person to do or say. Like we're more aware of what a red flag is and how we can explain it to someone. And like, yeah, we might have teenagers one day that'll be like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm in love, but at least we can. And I'll be like, let me bring out the book. Let me show you. (laughs) This is that. Uh, This is this. And I had like, there was always that feeling of embarrassment. Like I would never even go fully into saying Karen is about one of the only ones. And she did what, she was supposed to. She was there when I needed her, like immediately. Like when I let, I called her, I was like, I'm leaving. And she said, we have a room for you guys. Come on. And I packed myself up the next week and I was in Louisiana a few weeks later. Like that's how quick things went. And I, I just think back to like little controlling things. Like he would get mad at me and like the job that he had, he would be gone for like five days at a time. And he would get mad and take my phone. I had a baby like my oldest was like a baby and I would have no way of contacting anyone. I had to literally like walk down to my sister's house because like her husband was had the same job as my husband, my ex-husband. And I would have to walk down there with my baby and be like, I have nothing like I don't have a car right now. He took my car keys. I don't have a cell phone. And it's like looking back, it's like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? But then you get love bombed. Yep. I'm so sorry. It's like, It'll never happen again. Whatever you want. We can do whatever mm-hmm. you want. Yep. Oof. Man. Again, this that, episode's really triggering. That uh that age, those young people in that age group are so much tougher than they are given credit for, but they also need to know that it's okay that if they make a mistake. Like if yeah, and if, that's you, if per- something happens and you're like, oh no, this was a mistake. No guilt. Like, yeah, it's okay. That's the You're conversation that you, that's the conversation like you have to have with your kids. You have to be able to tell them. Like I tell my oldest all the time, if you ever need anything, I'm the first person you can call. No judgment. I don't care. Just call me. I will do whatever I can to take care of the situation. I don't care what, what it is. I will, I will be there for you. Unless it involves me going to jail. We've already talked about that. That's not my thing. <laughs> We're not a ride or die here. Like, but I had you did something I, that requires you going to jail. You're going to jail for your like, safety. I did. I, I have a good relationship with my parents, but I never felt like that line of communicate. We didn't. It was never like that type of relationship where I can be like, hey, I like I need to come home right now. Like, I need you to come get me. I don't feel safe because I, there was always that embarrassment that came along with it. Mm-hmm. And Shame. it took. Yeah. And like when everything went down, St. Karen was the goat with it because she was like, this is what has been happening with her for years. Like this isn't a you guys are going to work things out thing because then it became because then, you know, you get gaslit and then it's, oh, she took my kids away from me. She, you know, she left with my kids. I have no contact with my kids. And it's like, oh, no, 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 honey. I will let you have your narrative. But we both know that that is not what happened. Yep, I did not have children in that situation, but it was, um, she cheated on me, even though I had already broken up (laughs) and told all my friends that, and I didn't have any friends and I moved away with like pretty much nothing. It sucks, you know? And then the other side of this, you have the revenge porn aspect of it, which is horrific. I I wrote a whole 
extra two pages on that that I did not <laughs> that I did not go into because I'm gonna save it for another episode. But it was this was you're right. This was a very triggering episode for mm-hmm. a myriad of reasons. It's every aspect of it. I just wish that someone who was obviously a very bright light in the world was you know was taken from a fucking monster yeah too soon for no and it could have it could have been prevented i think Mm -hmm. i think about that guy and his parole officer i think about the guy or like the kobe bryant case right now about how they were sharing pictures of like the police officers like investigators on the scene were like sharing pictures of the victims corpses and beyond fucked and to think that their police like people just take pictures of bodies like that aren't for investigation purposes it's just like oh wow look at this it's kobe bryant it's just a torso let's take a picture like look at this isn't this wild just body parts everywhere like that is and then you have these guys be like oh yeah we saw the new we we were looking at the nude photos we made comments we could look at them whenever we wanted I understand that there's a certain level of desensitization that comes with it. It comes like it comes with our job too. Like I get it. Yeah. But that does not excuse like the unethical behavior. Yeah. Sharing pictures and talking shit like that. I have said many times, like I, the human body fascinates me. Like I dive in too deep sometimes on like the, post-mortem aspect of it and like the autopsy reports and like things like that and it's not because i'm like oh my god this is so cool but you do get this like level of like decent like you get desensitized and it's it can be dangerous it's It's, it can be mm -hmm. a scary thing Mm -hmm. but i would never look at it from like a after i research a case and i've researched the whole thing if i've seen like autopsy photos or autopsy reports it's not like i go back to it and like after the case is finished and just read them like look at autopsy photos what the fuck like yeah you can get desensitized and still not be a creep and shit like that is creepy you're a creep you shouldn't yeah. be in the position that you're in and you the are the fact that he did extort $1,000 from her to not share that stuff to her family. Like, that is already a crime. Like, she could have pressed charges, and if if someone would have done anything mm-hmm. or would have said that, or, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I can only comment, but I am. It is infuriating. It's very infuriating, and I feel awful for that. Because, you know, when you with revenge porn, it comes the, why'd you take pictures like that? Exactly, yeah. Did you you know that there wasn't, in Indiana, there wasn't a law for sharing, like, not, like, for non-consensually sharing, like, nude photos until 2019? 2019. That's gross. It's so gross. I had a teacher share by It's a misdemeanor. What? Like, a misdemeanor class A. That's, if you're gonna. That's a $5,000 fine. And a year in jail. I say this like not trying to like lower like the sex offender registry or anything like that. But if you're telling me that some girl or guy who gets caught peeing in public because that's happened and they have to register indecent exposure as a sex offender. But someone who does that doesn't have to register as a sex offender. 
that's a broken system and that's gross. Ooh, that's a good point. It was a very good point. Oof. I got to go talk yeah. to my husband about this case. <laughs> and unwind. <laughs> Oof. You got to, uh, it does. It's hard to get, and we record it at night mostly. So like, then we have to go to sleep. Yeah. Thinking about this junk. But seriously, if you are in that position or if you know someone who's in that position, we can't always give, like, we, we can't give legal advice because we're not police officers, we're not lawyers. But if you just need a, like, how do I help? Where can I go? What resources do I have? Please reach out. Um, reach out to our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. We're more likely to see that just with the trove of messages we get on Instagram. Stuff. Yeah. Um, but we would, we will help in any way that we can. And on that note, bye. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.